For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and it's already September. Somehow, I feel like we're all still recovering from 2020, but it's only four months away from 2022. I don't know how that works, but somehow this is where we're at. But pro softball is back, and it feels good. Season two of Athletes Unlimited is officially underway, and it's already looking like it's going to be an amazing one. And a lot of college teams are back on campus, too. So remember, remember, there's softball in September. And reminders for ways to keep up with the show, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. Subscribe to Believe in Softball on YouTube where you can watch the episodes too. So let's go through today's order. First, we'll cover our bases, give you some news and updates. Really going to break down Athletes Unlimited for you as it's now kicked off. Then we'll head into finishing my conversation with our recent guest, softball broadcaster and podcast host, Eric Lopez, on what's going on in college right now. Then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week where we share tips to help us get better. All right, let's get started. Covering our bases. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are also now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college softball action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at BetOnline. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys, and if you lose, your wager will be refunded, up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. It's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And then there's something else. So I don't know if you heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. He's been taking a new product he owes the credit to, Balance 7. Balance 7 is a pH balancing alkaline supplement drink. And as an athlete, sometimes you need that extra boost to help you out. There's so much wear and tear on the body when you compete at a high level. And really in college, I was doing physical activity of some kind six days a week and sometimes even active recovery on the seventh day. So Products that can give you a boost when you're in the thick of it like that are helpful, especially as we get older. And you can see how Balance 7 has helped Lamar. He looked good at the celebrity boxing match with Aaron Carter. Head to balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE for free shipping. Balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE for free shipping. If it worked for him, it can work for you too. Some of the athletes I'm super excited to be watching right now are of the unlimited variety. What an opening weekend for Athletes Unlimited. There are so many things that I want to touch on. 
And one of the first things that caught my eye, really a fun thing, was seeing the power couple that is Amanda Chittister and Anissa Urtez. Firstly, they were on the same team. They got to be on the same team. They're so used to being on different teams, even at the Olympics. Chittister was Team USA. Urtez was Team Mexico. They're so used to competing against each other, but they got to play it together. And super cool moment. Amanda Chittister hit an absolute bomb. Comes around, scores, does the home run celebration. And then immediately after that in the lineup, here comes Anissa Urtez, and she lays down a bunt single. To me, it was just a really cool moment. Like, this is couple goals. You know, when people talk about it, super cool. And I just had to highlight it. And speaking of Anissa Urtez, too, video review. She was an amazing example of how important and interesting video review can be when she slid into second base. Okay, for me, seeing that first base angle, that camera angle where they're typically kind of set up at the end of the first base dugout, right? She looked safe right? Barely keeps like her toes and her heel, like the edge of her foot on the base. But then when they showed the slow-mo and that right field camera angle, it showed that she was just out. Like she beat the throw there, but then she did come off the bag and the tag was placed. And it was just such a close play that it, it's a great example of how glad I am that will have video review in college softball, but just like, wow, like what there's like, it's almost impossible to make that play live or to make that call live if you're the umpire. So really cool just to see that go to work with the video review. Then also on the media side of things, just the mic'd up stuff has always fun to me during athletes unlimited. And we're used to kind of seeing some players out in the field doing it while they're playing. At least they did last year, but to see them actually mic up a catcher, in Gwen Svekis was pretty cool. It's not easy to do. It's one of two positions on the field where you're involved in every single pitch. You know, it's you and the pitcher. That's it. And she was able to to share enough information, enough like insight into what her approach is without giving anything away because obviously the hitters are right there. They could probably hear her. So I thought she did a good job of that. Really cool. And I think a couple people who are particularly good at being mic'd up were Megan Wiggins and Victoria Hayward. Wiggins gave some awesome history and context of the field itself, having played on it for so many years in the MPF. I mean, she's just an absolute veteran, as well as even context about people who played together before, teammates, former opponents, how they're all mixed together in Athletes Unlimited. And then even a little bit of that sort of veteran mentality with the rookies and how they're taking some of them under their wing. I just thought her commentary was great. And then Victoria Hayward, too, she has a lot of personality, which is always fun, a lot of energy. And then really cool to hear her talking about some Tokyo comparisons, even down to to the weather in Chicago versus what they had in Tokyo. And to hear her and Danielle Laurie on the call, them sort of conversing, you're basically hearing friends talking to each other during the game, like during plays. It's pretty cool. Like, that's pretty awesome. And of course, you know, technical difficulties come with the territory. They are literally playing and moving around out there while talking in the sun and the wind. So it does happen. But, you know, it is what it is. I did not like the bouncing back and forth between the TV channels during one of the games. So for context, the game came on FS1 late because a baseball game was finishing before that. But then... When the softball game, the Athletes Unlimited game, wasn't over yet, it got pushed to FS2 because another baseball game was starting. My thing is, if you can delay softball coming on to finish a baseball game, you can delay baseball coming on to finish a softball game. Finish the softball game, too. It's that simple. But somebody who had pretty much little to no difficulty, which is no surprise, was obviously Kat Osterman. She had the first no-hitter in Athletes Unlimited history. And it was such an interesting no-hitter. She said it herself, too. It wasn't necessarily the prettiest one. Like, she still gave up an earned run, which is, I think, an interesting point to show hitters that you can get on base and make things happen even without just getting these hits. You can get walked. You can steal. You can move people around. You can do that. You can still make something happen. But also got to give a lot of credit to the stellar defense. And of course, Deja Malipola, because she was the one that was a part of it as well. Like always got to give that credit to the catcher. But the defense was great. She was also the first to reach 100 strikeouts in Athletes Unlimited. Again, not a surprise, except for the fact that she only started one game. 
herself this weekend. She actually started Odyssey Alexander, really cool move by the veteran. It's really us getting a chance to see Coach Cat in action. I feel like we're seeing that a little bit more this season early on right away than last season. She really pitched a ton, a ton of innings, was really focused on getting Gwen as her catcher for every single game to have that battery and have that relationship. Now she's kind of like letting them them go to work. And she even said that, like she likes to put the pieces together and see it play out as a coach. So we're definitely seeing Coach Cat. I also think overall, better defense and pitching so far from weekend one versus season one of Athletes Unlimited. Some examples, Taylor McQuillan, night and day from last season to this season so far. I mean, she was lights out, really had the offense under control, went longer than I think she might have ever went in season one, several innings under her belt. It's just really got to give kudos to her for making an adjustment and coming out strong. Love it. Love to see it. I think the fact that teams now have four pitchers instead of just three really helps. There are 60 total athletes in Athletes Unlimited this year versus the 56 that we had last year. And those extra four are an extra pitcher on each team. And, you know, we see more and more in our game, especially at the college level, but even beyond that, like really the approach is to pitch by committee. That's how it is. Hitters have progressed so much that that's really what you got to do. So to be able to have four pitchers, you could theoretically start three different pitchers, but you still have someone in the bullpen. You can rotate them. I think it makes a big difference um, from what we're seeing last year, this year. And then I just got to give props to Victoria Hayward for having one of the most solid infields that you could possibly have, I think, in general, but also in Athletes Unlimited, to have Ali Aguilar, Sis Bates, and Hannah Flippin all in one infield, pretty unreal. They said it multiple times, but any of the three of them could have played any of the three positions. I was curious how she was going to do this. Like, how do you decide who goes where? But to play Flippin at third, Bates at short, and Aguilar at second makes sense. I think Aguilar has been at second with Team USA. Flippin can literally play anywhere. She is just so freaking versatile. It's unbelievable. And Bates is the most comfortable at short. She's also, you know, come on. She's a highlight reel over there and has been her entire college career. So very comfortable there. And I think it was probably the right call the way she did it. But just what a cool defense to see come together in week one. Also, not a surprise to see a classic Haley McClenney diving catch. Really just another day for her in center field. But I have to give credit to Tori Vidalis for her diving catch. It was awesome. She dove in the 3-4 hole, got the backhand line drive catch. It was amazing. And the reason I love it so much is because it's like, yes, first baseman can field two. It is not just about the other three infielders on the field. First baseman can do their job over there. They're not just receivers. You have to be an excellent receiver, but you can field your territory too and make an impact. And it did. That was part of the no-hitter that Kat threw. So there you go. Shout out, Tori. The other thing is we saw our first extra innings game in Athletes Unlimited. And it, I was curious to see, okay, how's this going to play out here? International tiebreaker. So you have to start with that runner on second base, kind of in line with what, what we saw in the international stage and what we're used to. Nothing new. Really cool to see Gwen Speckis walk it off. And I have to give her credit. Speaking of Taylor McQuillan really stepping up in the circle, Gwen Speckis has stepped up a lot on offense. I don't know if last year, because her and Kat from really start to finish the entire five weeks were super engrossed in their plan as a battery, like maybe she was so deep into that, that, you know, you have so much focus energy going into that. And this year, because she's not just automatically going to Kat's team, she's actually making adjustments, working with other pitchers, and she's able to almost focus a little bit more on hitting. I don't know, but it's an excellent start for her so far. And I love it. But speaking of Cat, too, when you look at the week two draft, for the first time ever, Cat is not team gold. First time ever we've seen this. She literally did not wear any of her other color jerseys last year outside of the scrimmages, of course. Pretty crazy. You know, Savannah Jaquish was team gold and Tori Vidalis was blue and Lily Piper's purple. And they're all all three of them are first time captains. And for Piper, I got to give a shout out too. She didn't get the guaranteed spot in AU after competing in the league last year. She actually went to the open tryout and cemented her spot. So I love to see that glow up from the open tryout to a captain right away. It's awesome. And I have to also shout out Tori Dallas coming in hot, taking Haley McClenney. 
her first pick after Kat had already said on the broadcast too, like, I think I showed my hand, you know, Haley McClenny is really a priority of mine to have. And why wouldn't she be? She's one of the best in the world. And, um, but Dallas just, just getting after it right away. I kind of love it, but I'm also impressed with her team. I think she put together a pretty good team. Again, this is a first time captain, right? Her pitching staff. You have Haley Wagner, Danielle O'Toole. You got lefties. This is their second season in AU. So they've been seen before by a lot of this group. Then you also have Taryn Alvello and Alyssa Denham coming from the right side. But this is their first season with Athletes Unlimited. So they haven't been seen as much. So I I just feel like this is a really well-rounded pitching staff, like super solid. They've all had success and know what success is like. So it should be interesting. Comparison would be like Savannah Jakewish also has a great pitching staff, but they're all righties. So just the depth and variety that Vidalis has, I think, is going to serve her well. And then you look on the other side of the battery, the catchers. She has two Olympians. You got Erica Piancastelli and Aubrey Monroe. So they know what they're doing behind the dish. And then also an Olympic outfield. Victoria Hayward from Team Canada. And then Haley McClenney and Michelle Moultrie from Team USA. Olympic outfield. That's kind of all you have to say. And then, of course, again, flipping and baits up the middle. I mean, come on. That, that's just – and I have to give some Pac-12 love there too. I love me some infield. I love me some Pac-12. Shout out to them. And then I would say on the corners, you know, she has herself, obviously, over at first base. And a couple options for third base too. I, it just – I think it was well done. And I will give credit to Kat's always pretty good at picking her teams. We talked about it a lot last week. But her and Jake Wish also have really solid outfield. I think the outfielders in Athletes Unlimited overall are very talented. So it's natural that pretty much everyone would have a solid outfield. But Jake Wish has Amanda Lorenz, Megan Wiggins, Morgan Howe. Left to right, that's pretty much it right there. That is solid. Kat has Aaliyah Andrews, Janie Reed, and Morgan Zirkle. Tons of speed. And then you have Chittister and Warren at the corners as well for Kat. I mean, that that's that's awesome. Like this is, this is going to be so fun to watch them, them all play. And like I said, she hasn't been as concerned with the catcher. She didn't even draft a catcher until the ninth round, but she still went with someone she's familiar with Taylor Edwards, who she worked with a lot with team USA, obviously leading up to the Olympics. But again, she's making it clear that, you know, it's less about like her and, and what she needs and focused on that with the battery and more so about like what's going to be good for the team and putting that coaching hat on. So it's interesting. And I think one thing I'll call out too is with the two utility slots being replaced with an extra corner infielder and an extra middle infielder, I think it's a little harder for infielders to get playing time because each team only has three outfielders, right? So it's like, okay, well, (laughs) you know you're going to get to play, but there's a lot, there are a lot more options in the infield. So I think that's interesting, but more of them also means more depth. And you have to take into account the offensive uh, production as well. So with all that being said, so much to cover. That's just sort of what was top of mind for me. But season two seems to be picking up right where season one left off. And it's great. College softball. A few interesting things. I mean, Miranda Elish is in the transfer portal. My mind was blown. I think my mouth might have actually opened like my jaw might have dropped for real (laughs) when I saw that news on Twitter. So for context, you know, she had opted out of the 2021 season with a COVID-19 waiver. She has really been the face of Texas softball recently. She's a two-way player, two-time All-American, and she had already transferred from Oregon to UT when Coach White made his move out to Texas. So interesting that she would look to transfer again. And in the portal, Her designation is as a grad transfer and that she's not wanting to be contacted by miscellaneous teams, which usually when that's the case, it means that that person has some teams and schools in mind in particular. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Could be a huge shakeup. Then a really cool story coming out of Berkeley, and I don't give Cal a lot of props for obvious reasons, but this, honestly, this deserves it. Catcher McKenna Smith is now a dual sport athlete at Cal. The Cal soccer team needed an emergency backup goalkeeper, and she had played soccer at a high level before Cal, and she even had some college offers to play soccer. So this was always really a dream of hers, but she just went with Cal to play softball because she felt like it was the best academic opportunity for her. But not too long into it, only after one practice, I think, she got the start against 
the defending national champions, Santa Clara, and they actually tied them one-to-one, and she had seven saves, earning herself Pac-12 goalkeeper of the week. What? <laughs> like, I, I'm just, I'm blown away by this. And the cool part, too, is that softball head coach Chelsea Spencer backed her 100%. And she talked about when she came on the show that her goal as the coach, as the custodian of the program, as she calls it, is to create the best student-athlete experience as possible. And she wants to help the university and the athletic department as a whole. This, to me, really is, we talked about this before when she came on, but this is another pro of her being a cow bear herself. Like, as an alum, you just have that next level investment. I think this is an example of that. She went to the game with her family, went to watch McKenna Smith play. The softball team went to watch her play with the soccer team. It's just pretty cool, right? And it's some synergy between the different athletic groups at Cal. What's, what's even more interesting, too, is think about it. Spencer didn't even recruit Smith. That was before her time at Cal. So to show this kind of level of support is really, really cool on her part. And when I called games for Pac-12 Networks with Cal, I had asked Chelsea Spencer about McKenna Smith, and she immediately just was like, oh, she's a baller. She's tough as nails. There's one time she got hit in the hand with a contusion at Fresno State, and she just looked. Spencer dead in the eye and was like, I'm okay, coach. And Chelsea said like, that was when she knew like, all right, this kid, this kid's for real. And she thinks she's a future All-American as a softball player, let alone as a soccer player. So obviously lots of planning that that's happening between the two coaches of the two programs, but just really cool. Had to give it a shout out, even if it is the Cal Bears. But speaking of the Pac-12, so after the Pac-12 Big Ten ACC alliance was announced, which we talked about last week. The Pac-12 also shared a statement that they're not expanding the conference and adding teams and schools to it at this point in time. That was something that people were wondering about. Um, So definitely interesting to kind of get that formal statement. And I have some thoughts on the conference movement that we're seeing in college software right now. And so does Eric. So let's just head into the rest of our conversation. But one thing I did want to talk a little bit with you about is um, some college conference stuff that's going on. (laughs) Thoughts on the Pac-12 Big Ten ACC alliance that was just announced. It was strange because, you know, you have one expectation going into it and then you just find out like, wait a minute. So none of this really kicks in right away. You could still play whoever you want. There's no written contract. So what does this all really mean? Like in the big picture, what's really going to change? Right. Um, you know, and obviously this is all driven by football, which we, you know, we could spend hours talking about that and how I always laugh personally, Jenna, every time somebody complains about, well, what, you know, these schools are losing money. It's because they're flying their softball teams to play cross country. Yeah. That's why you're losing money. It has nothing to do with all the stupid decisions you're making uh, football-wise, like, you know, West Virginia playing in the Big 12, it has to travel cross-country to play in a conference. That's nothing to do with that at all. It's play, Let's play in the Olympic sports for that. Nonsense. Um, so it, it drives me nuts. Um, I do think what's interesting uh, from this, clearly this was a react a, a reaction to the SEC. And they'll deny it. I know they, they were asked about it. This was a reaction to the SEC getting Texas and Oklahoma. And they're trying to say, look, this is our reaction. You're not going to let us boss us around, SEC. I find it amusing because in softball, since we'll keep it up to softball on this, you know, there's been a lot of softball fans that believe that the SEC, that people are biased towards the SEC, that media outlets are biased towards the SEC. We saw that on selection night where people are like, man, this is such a pro SEC. And, you know, you're back in your backyard in the Pac-12. They were livid. Uh, I got a lot of hate from the Pac-12 people because I made the tweet comment and I said it on my show. This is a sign, the Pac-12, if you didn't know, the SEC has passed you by. And a lot of people took exception to that. And I'm not saying that I'm defending the committee and some of their selections. I didn't think Washington should have been a 16 seed. They should should have been a better seed. I know you had Heather Tarr on right after that. And it was fascinating to Heather's credit. She kind of took the high road. Uh, from that standpoint, and, and she was pro she RPI. Did. She was pro RPI, which surprised me a little mm-hmm. bit. But the SEC, Same. To, yeah, I, I was very surprised. And but 
I was impressed. The thing that reason I defend the SEC is they spend money on softball. They they bring revenue. They generate you know new facilities upgrades and stadiums, and they 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 put money into broadcasting uh, and their broadcasters, which the Pac-12 doesn't. And that's been my frustration with the Pac-12 is such a great league with the history and the tradition in softball that I think the league has kind of at times taken it for granted. And that's all I've been saying is, hey, is a Pac-12, you know, just because UCLA keeps winning national titles doesn't mean they don't need renovations in their facilities. Do it. They deserve it for these athletes. And I've been a big proponent on that. And some Pac-12 fans took that for uh, took it as a, as a slight. Um, but that's to me. So to answer your question about this three, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a huge difference from a softball standpoint because the Pac-12 plays, you know, the Big Ten a lot of times anyway, especially in tournaments in California. Same thing with the ACC. I think the bigger question that I have, Jenna, yeah. as somebody who you played in the Pac-12, you covered the league, and I and I think I wonder if maybe with the way the selections went down uh, this past year and maybe this alliance could help this, do we start seeing more Pac-12 teams travel east to play these games? You know, we started to see this a little bit. I give credit to Arizona, for example. Arizona this past year traveled to Florida to play UCF, South Florida, and Florida State as part of a 10-day trip. I asked Mike Condre about that. He said, I want my team to get used to being in a, in a situation where they have humidity. In other words, being away from home. Because we might have to deal with this in Oklahoma City or we may have to deal with this in a super regional. SEC teams always travel. They go West Coast to play at Mary Nutter. They play at Judy Garman, et cetera, et cetera. Do we start seeing more Pac-12 teams come East? And I think, you know, you got the Clearwater Tournament, obviously the Invitational that I think has attracted some Pac-12s. But I think we, if I'm a Pac-12 school, I think the Pac-12 learned a lesson this past year. They took for granted the fact Judy Garman, Mary Nutter, those were huge tournaments for the Pac-12. That's why they were hurt from an RPI standpoint and as a result from a seeding yeah. standpoint because their non-conference took a hit from not having those non-conference games. I think they thought they could double up by playing non-quote-unquote non-conference games within the conference, and, it's, and it didn't work. It didn't work. So I think they learned a valuable lesson is go play people that are not in your conference. That's the way I would phrase it on purpose. Just because you're playing your team like – you're playing a team from the Pac-12 six times doesn't mean you're going to get rewarded for that. And I think that's something I hope the Pac-12, I think, will take to that. And some of the schools already do this, but maybe play, not just depend on playing in your backyard, but hey, you know, if you've got a chance to play a Florida, Florida State on the road, and maybe do a home-and-home series like we see in baseball. Florida State and Arizona, the reason why Arizona is coming down is they were returning the favor from a couple years ago when Florida State played at Arizona. I'd like to see more of that. So I wonder, to kind of go full circle on this, with this alliance between the Pac-12, ACC, and Big Ten, could we see more of that because of this alliance in softball where, hey, not only are we going to play each other in tournaments, create some tournaments, but maybe play some home-and-home series with these conferences? I think it's very possible that travel schedules could change. The thing the thing that made it tough last year is that different regions of the country had and handled COVID and any sort of re- regulations around yes. that very differently. So right. like for the Pac-12 teams that are in California, for example, some at one point they were only playing people in California because that's what they could do, right? So yes, the tournaments that they normally would have played in, if those would have played out as planned, like Mary Nutter and all the ones that you mentioned, even Clearwater, I think some Pac-12 teams are scheduled to go there as well, then it, we probably wouldn't have had this problem. I think they were trying to work within their means in terms of adding that fourth game that's a non-conference. And they figure, well, we have multiple teams that are ranked in the top 10 and top 15 in the country, so this should, should help with our strength of schedule. I think it, it was... It was a tough year, in my opinion, to have that count against them, though, when when really that happened because it wasn't in their control. That was the thing that I think was tough. Like, they couldn't control COVID. SEC handled their scheduling way differently than the Pac-12 handled theirs. And you're kind of working with what you have. So I think that that was tough. But with that being said, I do think that I wouldn't be surprised with this alliance that, yes, maybe Pac-12 does travel east a little bit. Um, and maybe that creates 
Pac-12 being on some games, not just at the World Series, but that aren't on West Coast time. So maybe there's a little bit more visibility again on TV if they're playing in the Big Ten, the ACC, if they're going that way, Bingo. then then they're prime time, right? And so maybe Bingo. that visibility is is solved a little bit. And that, you just nailed it. You made a great, there's the point right there. You're not in hiding over there. You're playing marquee games here that pr- pr- you know are going to be probably on the ESPN platforms, which is a big platform there, obviously. Other big major platforms. The other thing is, the reason why I think it's important, with Texas and Oklahoma, eventually at some point, going to the SEC, <laughs> that is going to be an, an insane conference, number one SEC. But from an RPI standpoint, I mean, they're going to have good RPIs. You've got to counter that. And I think by having this alliance and helping each other out schedule more, that could perhaps counter the Texas and Oklahoma move from a resume standpoint, from an RPI standpoint. And like I think you make a great point there, the exposure standpoint. That's a big thing because that was a thing that a lot of Pac-12 coaches voiced their opinion that, hey, man, they always see the SEC all the time. And in particular, championship yep. week, SEC tournaments on all the time. Uh, I wonder, Jenna, as we talk, you know, Kendall Rogers has just reported he does D1 baseball. He just reported that Pac-12 is going to do a tournament in baseball. They're going to do a conference tournament now in baseball. So be in Scottsdale. Uh, he just reported that. The softball follow suit and create their own tournament to at least counter the SEC tournament, get exposure, get on TV that final week, because you know this, the final week is an important week to make that last impression for the committee, either from a hosting standpoint, from a seating standpoint, or if you're on the bubble. And I wonder, Pac-12, knowing that the SEC dominates that landscape right now with the SEC tournament, the ACC tournament is now on all the time as well. Look, as somebody who does a bracketology, I will be upfront with you. I spent that last week on my ESPN platform and literally watched games from every conference because it was easy. It's on ESPN platform. So, for example, I was the only one in the country that picked Northern Iowa to make the tournament. And people ask me, how did you figure that out? Simple. I looked at the resume, number one, but number two, I watched them play in the Missouri Valley tournament because it was on. It was on. It was. It's easy to be on. So I got to see what Sammy Bunch was all about, who's a great player for them at shortstop and things like that. That is missing right now a little bit on the West Coast, and I think maybe a conference tournament for the Pac-12 will help them in that. I know that's been in some talks from people I've talked to about it. We'll see if it happens or not, but this alliance is another yeah. avenue where you get more exposure. Hey, if UCLA is playing Florida State or UCLA is playing a you know a Michigan type of thing, that's more exposure. You're going to get on TV, and that might be uh, offsets some of the exposure that the SEC is getting that some of the coaches feel gives them an advantage. Yep. Yep. I, I, in the past, used to be like, well, do we really need a conference tournament in the Pac-12? Because I didn't have one. But also, I enjoyed playing every single team in the conference. And I know, like, for larger conferences that do have these tournaments, they don't get to do that necessarily in their conference seasons because of the scheduling and the size of the conference. If they were to do a, a conference tournament, I was like, well, then would we get one less preseason, you know, weekend tournament? Or how, how would that work with the scheduling? But now I'm really to the point where I think, yes, we should have a conference tournament. I just think we should do it. Clearly, it's been great for the SEC, for the ACC, for these other conferences. Um, I think it's great exposure. I also think it's just good momentum for these teams. Like the the energy that Montana Fouts had at the end of the SEC tournament that she was able to bring into the postseason, that's huge. And it's a little bit anticlimactic on the Pac-12 side. You know, like I was calling the Washington-Stanford series. Like there's definitely some interest there. Like it goes down to the wire. Like, okay, well, who's going to – come out on top here in the conference. But at the same time, it's, it's not the same. Like you're, you're waiting on Washington, Arizona, UCLA, and they're not even playing each other at the time, you know, necessarily. So it, it's, I think it's, we're ready for it. Well, and again, from an exposure standpoint, I, and you, you see, you've, you, you know, if you know me well enough, I follow this stuff very religiously from a TV mm-hmm. number standpoint. I write about TV numbers a lot. So you've, you've hit, you've hit one of my uh, sweet spots here. Uh, we could spend hours on this TV side of things. But <laughs> if you look at championship Saturdays, I call it, a lot of times you'll have the ACC or the American 
championship game at noon, let's say, followed by the other one at two, usually. Now you have the Big 12 getting a TV exposure. Now we'll see what happens with the Big 12 moving forward. We don't know what the future of that league is going to be with Oklahoma, Texas, uh, which is a whole other story in softball. We spent an episode recently of talking about what that could mean. Uh, But so let's say the Big 12 is either still around or if it's not around anymore, that opens up a spot. You have the SEC title game, which has really benefited in that prime time slot. It's usually one of the most watched softball non-World Series games of the year. Imagine if you have the Pac-12 right after the SEC. As a softball fan, you wouldn't stick around to watch. I mean, that's a pretty good, you know, you know what I'm saying? That's a great day of softball. It's great for the league. And you're the la- you're probably going to be the last game of the day. You're probably going to be on primetime. It'll probably yeah. be the most watched Pac-12 game of the year because of the championship. People just like conference tournament. They tune in. Uh, I don't know how you would do it from a format standpoint, but – you look at Pac-12 basketball, for example. I like how they do it, where they have the Pac-12 network and then either ESPN or Fox split the coverage. And so you every game is on. And then the championship game on would be on ESPN. It's usually at 10 o'clock, Dave Pash, Bill Walton, whatever. Going, They're doing their thing. I think you could do the same thing here with softball. And I think it would bring more exposure to them and counter. It's not all SEC because – I think some of the people's concern is because the SEC is on, does that affect the committee's members thinking, oh, I'm watching Alabama and Florida. Maybe I'm going to see them here. Or, man, I just saw Tennessee. You know, you and I have no problems finding Pac-12 games and SEC games because we're, we're we, this is what we do, right? So we'll find it. But is a committee member really going to be able to find every game? And I know some people are going to say, well, they, that's their job. They should. I get it. Yeah. But we're dealing with administrators. Are they really going to make the extra effort to watch all of it? So why not make it easier for them? Yeah. I mean, I'm in the camp that thinks like, yes, it is their job. They should seek it out. However, visibility creates opportunity, like I said earlier. So the easier access something is, yes, that's what you're going to see. That's what you're going to internalize from that point forward. And the thing is, is like, even though that's their job that they should do, for for the Pac-12, for example, it's like we also need to control what we can control at this point. Like the conference needs to not be like, well, they need to do their job as much as like, all right, well, how can we kind of like force this on them <laughs> to make them do a better job, right? Like we need, it's controlling what you can control in that situation. I think the exposure is going to be huge. I would love for some sort of alignment, agreement, whatever you want to call it with Pac-12 Network and like ESPN, for example, because 100%, I think that's helped the SEC, with yes. and softball overall as a result too is that kind of exposure um, because the Pac-12 really laid the foundation in terms of the level of play what college softball was all about the SEC really took it to the next level in terms of exposure and viewership you know and I think that's where and marketing, us, and marketing exactly and facilities like you said like they did invest 100% like you have to give them credit for that it's true um, and I think Pac-12 people and including myself we get defensive because we're like do you know how many championships we have? Like, look at how our teams are ranked and look at the performance on the field. All those things are true. But at the end of the day, like, if we're going to grow the sport, like, it, we need to do more, you know? And the SEC has done that more to get to the point that they're at. And now even the ACC with their network, too. And they got facilities. Look at Clemson and the facilities they built there with John Rittman's been building over there in Clemson. Duke, facilities yeah. is Duke has been building facilities. And here's the thing. It, that's why I don't knock the SEC because they've spent the money. And shouldn't that be a good thing that we got leagues spending? Why are we criticizing leagues that are spending money for the female athlete? Why are we doing it? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we push for? Isn't that what we fight for? And I just think softball now has become like no different than people that go to an NBA game or go to a baseball game. They it It's a product that people want to go watch. So you want to give them the best feel. Patrick Murphy told yeah. me that. If anybody's ever been to the Roadhouse uh, at Alabama, it's like this baseball stadium. It, it just – it's an incre- – like, who? it's a great place to watch a softball game. I, I interviewed Tim Walton because they renovated their stadium. Yeah. A lot of it was baseball influence. They want to make sure that the fans have a good time at the park. And I think that's something that some of the Pac-12 have taken for granted. There's a lot of great Pac-12 fans. But if you don't have great facilities – it, it's going to hinder the experience. You're not going to get as many people to watch. Whereas if your facilities are state of the art, people are going to come. 
and you and that's how you create more revenue as a result, which is something that softball's been headed towards that. Uh, it's just it's a big combination of things. And that's why I always defend the SEC when people go after them. I'm like, why are we going after a league that has gone out of its way to spend money on women's sports? That should be applauded. Right. I think it's a great point. The investment is really second to none, especially in the women's sports. You said it, Rhodes, great place to go watch a ball game. It was a great place to play. I think I even said this on In the Circle, like – when we were there for Super Regionals, everyone was rooting against us, yes, but the atmosphere and just the energy that the fans brought was fantastic. Like it was fun to play there, even as a visiting team, you know. And and you and that that really transcends to the gameplay. All of those things are affected, you know. It, everything's a trickle down from there, and it, it it's huge. And and you have to have respect for the coaches and and the conference for for making those investments. I think that's what the Pac-12 coaches this past season. Especially, I think the 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 RPI situation and the seedings in the bracket really kind of was a straw that broke the camel's back to where coaches started getting a lot more vocal about like, you know what, it's time for us in the Pac-12. We got to step up as a conference in terms of, because you can have the best product on earth, but if nobody is noticing or sees it or, and you don't really kind of get the word out more, what does that really do? I mean, yes, you also don't want to be all fluff, all marketing and not have a good product. That doesn't last either. But the SEC does have a good product as well. So, yeah, they get more attention, you know, and it's time. Yes. It's just time for the Pac-12 to not rest on the laurels anymore and just just go for it the way the SEC and there, has. And, and there's something to be said for facility upgrades to help the TV, right? The viewership. Yeah. If you're watching an Alabama game on TV, it looks really good. Tiger yeah. Park at LSU I've been to looks really good. You know, there's other parks. I won't mention names out west, but you know what I'm talking about. Not the same experience on TV. That, you know, that has a rippling effect on things. The other thing I would say, too, from Pac-12 coaches standpoint, I think this is from a whole sports standpoint, because I, I, I've been very openly critical of the committee over the years. But I've tried to reach out to them to get their understanding. Like I had Matt Larson on, who was the committee chairman this past year on the show just to kind of get their mindset, try to think what they're thinking. That's why I wasn't as surprised that they went a lot of, you know, they did a lot of things they've always done because they told me they were trying to keep it as normal as possible. You could disagree with that considering, the, the, you know, what you said with COVID and everything. The one thing we got to do that I don't think people realize, the committee is handcuffed by this 400-mile radius where they basically have to put an X amount yes. of teams within a 400-mile radius, which, let's be real, a lot of that is in the SEC territories. So as a result, uh, you see a lot of the SEC teams get placed with teams that are within 400 miles of a bus trip, basically. So what happens is when a lot of people are saying, well, that's not fair that Oregon and Texas are paired together. When I did the bracketology, there was really no other options for an Oregon to go. Either way, even if you would have had Oregon hosting, odds are Texas was going to get sent there because there was not really a lot of places you can go. They weren't going to send Oregon to an SEC place because a lot of those SEC places were going to be occupied by teams that can bus. That's one of the issues as well that has to be getting rid of. So we have a much more true seating. If you want true seating, we have to get rid of the 400-mile radius. If you don't, we're always going to have arguments about the seatings and how who was placed where, and people will be accused of biasness towards certain leagues. But in reality, the 400-mile radius – makes this a more challenge. And I'm not excusing the committee. I don't, you know, they're still made mistakes even with that. Like there's no way Wichita State should have been placed in Oklahoma, for example, things like that. But I do know that yeah. the 400 mile yeah. radius is a factor when they're in, when they're making these selections and seeding teams. At minimum, eliminate that excuse, right? Like if you eliminate it, not only does it create a better situation for the players and the teams, but it eliminates the excuse of anyone complaining about anything. So well, uh, man, again, we could just keep going forever. But any, any, what's one one thing on top of your mind that you're excited for in 2022? Hopefully, having tournaments again that we didn't yeah. have last year. Uh, yeah. I miss Clearwater. I love the Clearwater tournament. I've covered that the last couple of years. Mary Nutter. I think we all. I think I would. Have, I would imagine you being out west. A lot of people now will have a more of appreciation for Mary Nutter. Uh, Judy Garman tournaments like that. I think that's something that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing who could challenge Oklahoma for the national title, obviously on the field and Texas. How does this whole big 12 thing play out moving forward? 
even though that's more off the field questions, but you know, the big 10, you know, the big 10 played a conference only schedule that hurt them. I think they could have gotten a fourth team in or a fifth team. In if they would have played some sort of a non-conference, even if it was limited, you know, how do they look playing non-conference once again in the regular season? Uh, things like that. I think those are the things that I'm looking for, but mostly seeing those tournaments that we missed out on. I think we all as softball fans have a better appreciation for that because we missed out on some great matchups that we normally might get in those tournaments. We didn't have that last year. Credit to everybody last this past year for making it work. However, they made it work just to even get the season in and not only getting it in, but having a good season to make it work. But I hope that we have these tournaments back and I hope it's a better for everybody, like I spoke to Jessica Allister at Stanford, and I know you know this story. They didn't get a practice in until February. They but a week or two before the season actually yep. started. She didn't really get to know her team until later in the year. Hopefully, we can avoid that this time around, and everybody's kind of a more equal footing, if possible. Yep. Uh, we'll see. But those are the things I'm looking forward to in 2022. The other tournament I would throw in there as well is Kajikawa, hosted by Arizona State. Very yes. similar to where people fly in from all over the place. We used to open up pretty much every season back in the day um, going to that tournament. But it's a similar vibe to all the other ones that you mentioned. Um, I agree. Because I think there's a certain energy in February that we normally get from those types of tournaments that we just didn't have last year. Granted, I think we were all just thrilled to have softball. <laughs> this past season in 2021, but 2022, I think we're all like chomping at the bit for a little more normalcy with it. So I'm excited too. Can't get here fast enough. I can tell you that, especially now with NIL. Yes. Oh, a whole other topic, right? Yeah. But I think going to be interesting, interested, but for 2022, like we were saying, like things we're interested in seeing, I think that is going to be very interesting to see like the Montana Fouts of the world, you know, being able to capitalize on, their name and I think likeness. and I think NIL will help softball in that regard because softball players know how to use social media like a Montana Fouts could become even a bigger name I've made this comment I think Montana Fouts will actually benefit and probably make more money than say an Alabama basketball player because Montana Fouts stands out from a softball standpoint she's a pitcher I think softball players will 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 get more marketing because of this and will have more stars and more people will watch as a result Yes, I do have concerns about team dynamics and things like that. However, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a net positive for a sport like softball and for women in sports, collegiate women's sports specifically. Well, and you know what you might see? Because UCF women's basketball did this recently. They, as a team, signed in an endorsement deal with a, an endorsement company. So ev- the whole team signed it. So basically everybody gets a piece of the pie. I wonder – if maybe we'll see more of that moving forward. That's a good, you know, now granted women's basketball is a smaller roster, so I get that than softball in some cases. But I do wonder in softball, maybe you say that, maybe the way you counteract that, and maybe coaches will push for this to their team is like, instead of one individual, not to say that an individual can't do their own endorsement, but why don't you all sure. find an endorsement deal for a te- as a team? Could be. That's interesting and something coaches, like to your point, will need to take into consideration in terms of how they want their team culture to be because there are just so many factors. Even the fact that these student athletes will have to not only go to school, play their sport, but also now manage their brand. Basically, it's just a lot that we're putting on them. Um, But if you do it together, if you feel like you're doing it together as a team, that could make it more manageable too. No doubt. So much going on. Fall softball is a thing. I think that's the takeaway. And there's a lot of implications for the future of our game. And that's what I'm here for, to keep you in the loop. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about catch and release. So as a lot of people know, this is really a concept in fishing. And it's basically where you catch a fish, you reach that accomplishment. But instead of taking it home with you, maybe having it for dinner later, you actually release it back in the wild. Catch and release. So I want to use that concept now when we think about our mentality and emotions. I think it's important for us to let ourselves feel our feelings, but then let it go. Right? But that first part's important. As athletes, I think 
we're told to keep our emotions in check and to stay focused. But sometimes when we actually apply that advice, we do it in a way where we think, oh, we shouldn't have emotions at all. And like as if reacting with any emotion means that we're actually unfocused. And I want to debunk that a little bit because emotions aren't bad. Usually, it actually means that we care a lot, that we're really invested. And I think if we don't recognize or acknowledge our emotions, they actually end up building up and being a bigger problem later. Like when I played for a long time, I used to refuse to admit when I was nervous because saying I was nervous felt like it was admitting weakness or something. But then not acknowledging how I was feeling probably actually made me more nervous sometimes once the game actually started. And if I would have just acknowledged it in the first place, let myself feel it for a second, take some breaths and let it go, I could have just tackled it then and there. So catch those feelings, you know, because we all do. We all do. Then release them. Catch and release. The release part is super key, though. It's not that we're supposed to never get frustrated. It's just that we don't want to allow that frustration to take over and consume us. The last thing you want to do is let a bad five minutes turn into a bad seven innings because you couldn't let it go. So don't dwell on it. Even if whether it's a negative feeling or a positive feeling, sit with it, then move on and get back to your baseline groove. That's that one pitch at a time mentality that we've talked about before. And sometimes in those moments, you might only have a few seconds in between pitches Other times you might have a few minutes in between innings, or you might have a whole night to sleep on it before your next game the next day. Regardless, feel it, then let that ish go. So that's it. Catch and release. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you listen, including Believe.com. And you can also watch the videos on YouTube. Subscribe, rate, write a review, and share it with your friends if you liked it. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Believe in Softball. Again, B L E A V. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at JennaBasera01 and Instagram at JennaBasera as well. As always, thank you for tuning in and catch you soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.